Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You're listening to the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host, Michael Fink. All right, and this evening I'm here with Louis Ragoni. Hey, Dolphin fans. So how are you, Louis? Uh, I'm doing great. <laughs> We're getting closer to the season, and... Uh, Every day, I mean, we talked about this last year around this time. You know, every day you just get more and more pumped up. And, um, you know, I, honestly, Mike, I have not been paying a lot of attention to camp. Uh, you know, to, to, not not to any great extent. I mean, I know to some extent what's going on, but not in great lengths. You know, you're not you're not seeing preseason. So, well, believe- I mean, all we've got is the reporters. You know, other than that, it's not like anybody is seeing exactly what's going on. You know, the team releases a little bit. You know, and their little highlight clips, but you know, right. it's hard it's hard to say exactly what's going on unless you're speaking from the reporter's perspective. Exactly, and you know, you know, you know, the great thing about this whole situation is the fact that. It's gone by quicker. You know, I thought it would be a very slow type of thing. But in my mind, here we are. It's the 24th of August. And it's it's like almost right there. It's right in front of us. And I haven't noticed. You know, it's great. It's going to the season's going <laughs> to pop up on us. We don't have that preseason stuff and, you know, all of this going on. You know, I mean, I personally, I like it. I really do. It, the season's going to pop up a couple of weeks from now. And, and I'm, I'm happy. I like this. I really do. I don't. I'd like to see the guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I would too to an extent, but not over four games and not over a no, month. No, period, no, no. I'm Mike. not a big I mean, fan of four games. No. I mean, but. It, it it gets it gets tiresome. You know. I mean, think about it. Okay, so you've got the week prior to the first preseason game. So technically, it's like really six weeks that you're going through to where. You know, you're waiting on the season to start. And this whole month has gone by so quick for me uh, without me even realizing it. I, I mean, I'm happy. That's all I could tell you is I'm, okay. I, I like it. I like all it. Right. Yep. As long as you're happy, Lewis. I like it, yeah. I want to see real football. I don't want to see that crap we see during preseason. You know? Well, I hope we have some healthy players when it comes time for some real football because uh, we got some guys hurt today. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, Grant got hurt. He's day-to-day. Iqbenogany is day-to-day. Uh, Van Oy hurt his hand. He's uh, day-to-day. The seriousness on that one really wasn't spoken about. I don't know. Right. Uh, Laird hurt his shoulder. He's day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And uh, Curtis Weaver, their their fifth-round draft pick, uh, they waived injured. Now, he's going to be out for the year. I guess he had a foot injury or something, but... Uh, he evidently needs surgery. He's going to be out for the year. And uh, if he clears waivers, Miami then can then make a decision and possibly place him back on injured reserve if they want to keep him. 
mm-hmm. but uh, they had to waive him because uh, rookies who aren't tenured like that, they won't allow you to stash on IR. So they have to expose them to the league before they can put them there. Gotcha. I, I would assume he's going to he's gonna be back with us if they liked what they saw out of him, right? Exactly. I mean, they had some time to look at him and evaluate him. So we'll see, you know, how that all, you know, develops. Now, Trent Harris, they re-signed, uh, linebacker. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, now, we also lost, you know, a little earlier, uh, Vince Spiegel. And right, I, right. You know, that's that's a loss that I think uh, is impactful just because of his energy and, uh, you know, the way, he, the way he goes about playing the game. Yeah. So we're going to need somebody to step up and, and fill that void. You know, Van Ginkle or, or one of the other linebackers is going to have to take over that role. Uh, he, he had a lot of sacks last year for us from the linebacker spot. Yeah, he, he was a project. Well, he was on the depth chart. He was a starter for us. Um, now, obviously, that changes prior to the season. But, um, you know, depth, you know, you need depth on your team, especially at linebacker. And, uh, you know, we really can't afford to lose any more players you know, in regard to that, or else we're going to be in the same position we were last year. And uh, we don't want to be in that position again this year. I mean, that's, you know, it was ugly last year. And, um, you know, you like the fact that this guy had a lot of playing time last year. He had a season under his belt and he was a surprise to us. And, you know, we were looking forward to seeing him again this year and, uh, you know, he's gone. So, you know, somebody like you mentioned, you know, Van Ginkle or somebody like that's going to have to step up and, and play the role that he played. And he was good on special teams, from what I remember as well, yeah. last year. You know, so it, it's a loss. There's no question about it. Speaking of special teams, they signed a safety out of Canada, uh, Nate Holly, And mm-hmm. uh, he's a good special teams player and probably will be a role player to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, earlier today, uh, Lewis, I had the opportunity to speak with uh, Bill Zimfer. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Him and Mandage, one yep. of the best uh, tandems in our in our radio booth. No question yeah. about yeah, it. Very, I, I very enjoy, good. I enjoyed them a lot, and uh, it was nice speaking with him, and we'll play that in a little bit. Sure. Before we do, there's a couple of other things I wanted to talk about. You know, uh, People last week were getting all crazy because Tua wasn't uh, lighting it up, you know, and uh, the guy out in Cincinnati, Burrow, has had a little more of a uh, highlight reel camp. Okay. But I think what people aren't considering, at least that I'm hearing, is, you know, you got one guy playing with the first team and another guy, you know, playing with the third team. Uh, There's a difference in talent there. Uh, you know, two is playing with marginal receivers and, you know, Burroughs playing with the uh, starting caliber receivers. So mm-hmm. there is an advantage there. And, you know, it offenses differ. Mm-hmm. Some are more complicated than others. Some take mm-hmm. longer to learn than others. And when you're playing with the uh, fringe players, they don't know the offense either. So, you know, you lose that advantage as well, you know. So right. I, yeah, first couple of weeks in camp, I would not be worried about that at all. Now, he had a nice day-to-day through a 70-yard touchdown, and uh, I think he had three touchdown passes today. So he did well today. But regardless, he's going to have his ups and downs, and I, I would not be worried about it at all. He's going to be fine. Right. I mean, and you can't compare him to Burrow. I mean, he had a full season last year, Burrow. Right. You know, uh, Tua did not. So, of course, he's going to be a little bit ahead of him because he had he had played more into his senior year last year, you know, in his last year in college. So, 
yeah, he's going to probably be a little bit more polished at this point. And uh, two is still working out the cobwebs, so to speak, you know. But I'm not concerned. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, that's just ridiculous. I mean, I don't even want to uh, spend a lot of time on it. Once Tua has the opportunity and is playing with um, the guys he should be playing with, he's going to excel. You know, I, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a good football player for us. Yep. Now, people were going crazy last week because Fitzpatrick took a day off. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> they right. were talking about, you know, is he going to quit? Is he this? Is he that? You know, I, I told people, just relax, you know. My thought was, and I don't know if it's true or not, but my thought was he probably drove up to Tampa to make sure his family was okay because we have this storm that was approaching. They didn't know where it was going to hit at that time. Right. And Tampa was a possibility. I'm sure he probably went up to Tampa for a day and just made sure the family was okay and uh, came right back. Yeah, I mean, it, it, wouldn't it be nice, though, if, if somebody just came out and, and told everybody that? I mean, I, well, what is it? I don't know how that all works if there's just press conferences once a week these days. But, I mean, after practice, I mean, all it takes is a simple quote, quote from the head coach or one of the coaches saying, listen, he had – he had business to attend to, and well, that's what they said. Okay, personal reasons is what they said. He, right. he was out for personal reasons, and that's all they said. Right, and so, that's you know, it's not anybody's business what he's doing. So exactly. Well, was it the media that blow, blew it up, or did, well, did, did every, fans you know, just fans? Fans, fans. Okay, gotcha, you know, gotcha, uh, gotcha. Just getting nervous, and you know, right. Just, just relax. Things are going to happen. Fitz, Fitz <laughs> is under contract, and yeah. you saw how he played last year in the enthusiasm. This guy doesn't want to walk away from football. Yeah, that's quite yet. my thoughts exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. he wants to take on linebackers and safeties. Yeah. He does not. He, yeah, he, they're going to have to drag him away. Absolutely. I, I mean, listen, if he if he has another good year this year, you know, he goes out and does what he did last year, it's going to be quite interesting to see what they do with him, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you got this number one pick that, you know, you're sitting on, but I would love to see him come back even as, a, you know, he's a, even as a backup, you know, if they held on to him for a couple more years and were able to keep him around. I think he's great for the football team. He's great for the franchise. You know, he's great for the players around them, the coaching staff, the whole nine yards. Uh, you know, I'd love to see him around here for a few more years after this season. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but it, no, neither it do could, I. but yep. I, I don't think it will. Well, we'll see. If Rosen falls on his face, uh, they're going to need a backup. So let's see what happens, right? Uh-huh. Well, Rosen's been having a good camp so far. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, so, you, know, you know how much I take that into consideration, right? I do. I do. Training camp. Yep. Yep. All right. <laughs> People want to trade Xavier Howard. He's no good. He doesn't stay healthy. <laughs> Okay. This is the foolishness we hear. <laughs> well, He's probably your second or third most talented player on the team. Agreed. Our so only, you, yeah, you're not trading him. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we didn't expect the guys to get traded last year. Either. Different, so, different situation, though. We're past that now, I think. Circumstances. And if circumstances develop, we can never – Count it out. You never say never, sort of. Never speak. say never, but I would say odds are long against them. I would hope not, because if you do lose him, you're losing a really, really good football player and a guy that is going to be tough to replace with the guys on this roster right now. Now, our number one draft pick, 
who got hurt today, he may eventually step into that role. But, I mean, you don't want him out there this year in that. You know, you want him getting his feet wet with that nickel position or wherever the case may be. You want X-Man here. I mean, you build a defense around those two cornerbacks right now and you go from there. And hopefully the next two, three years, you know, we're, we're rock solid. Yeah, the thing is, you just signed him the big money. You're not going to want to take the cap hit that you're going to have to take if you do let him go. Right, exactly. I mean, is it is? I mean, you're going to take a cap hit, and I mean, really, is it worth it to trade for to trade him? I mean, if you get two first round picks, maybe, but I mean, anything less of that, you don't trade him. There's no way. You're not getting two first round picks for Xavier because he hasn't been healthy. Exactly. That's my whole point, but. You know, on the other end of that, Mike, is, you know, do you, what value does he have to other teams? I mean, do you, are you going to be happy with him getting traded for a second-round pick? I wouldn't. Would no. you? No, right. not at all. Exactly. I'd rather take the chance of him being healthy and playing 16 games. Exactly, right. I mean, it's such a, it, it is a crapshoot because he has been hurt. He got hurt last year. But, you uh, you got to expect him to come back and be the player that he was. I mean, that that's all we can hope for, right? I mean, you know, well, we I, you know I, w- I would point to Parker. You know, he spent a couple of years uh, in the tub, and, and finally he put it all together last year. We got to hope that continues. And with Howard, it's the same thing. We got to hope he gets past it and uh, can play at his normal uh, form. Exactly. Listen, Mike, I go to bed at night and I wake up with – back problems and leg problems. I mean, I, I don't even know what happens while I'm sleeping. So when you get out on a football field, injuries are part of the game. And as fans, you know, we look at these guys and say, come on, man, get out there and play some right. football. But you you just don't know the extent of what they're going through, you know. And um, Well, he had his knee operated on in December. So, right. uh, you know, this is not a, a minor thing. He had something right. wrong with his knee. So let right. him heal and let's, let's see what he's got. Right, it's eight months later. I mean, it's yeah. it's not it's not an easy thing, and and us as fans, we kind of overlook that all the time. We 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 don't have patience. Oh, the guy's got to get out uh-huh. there. He's hurt uh-huh. all the time. He's not playing. I mean, but you just don't know what they're going, and we're all guilty of it. I mean, me and you both get frustrated as well. But you of know, course. again, it's you know we don't know what these guys are going through at any point. I know they're doing the best that they can. If they're professionals and they're making that kind of money, you would expect them to give it 110% on getting back out on the field and trying to play from week to week. And and that's all you can ask for. I mean, the coaching staff knows what these guys are made of and if they're dogging it, you're not going to see them. I mean, you know, maybe you would see them get traded, but uh you know, I I don't see it. I mean, he's I not that. I don't think he's that type of player. Neither do don't. I. I don't. I don't either. The other thing I want to talk about, and I think we're going to disagree on this, but okay. uh, Preston Williams was back returning punts in camp, and a lot of the fans said, "No, that's how he got hurt. We can't do that with him." Right. And uh, I I don't know. I look at it from a coaching perspective. If, if he is my best punt returner, then darn it, I want him returning the punts because you're playing to win, and special teams is one third of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, if I got another guy who's real close in ability, then maybe I'm going to give it a second thought. But if he if he is my best punt returner, then I want his hands out there. I want his uh, vision out there and his ability out there. Mm-hmm. Well, the way I look at it is this, and you're right, I am going to somewhat disagree with you. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, Mike, <laughs> when they didn't have special teams down to an absolute science, which they 
tend to have, you know, they, they just evaluate all the players, you know, the return guys. They try to keep it away from them. They do everything possible for guys not to be successful. And now that's point number one. So I think that the game's changed, and I don't know if there's as much importance in regard to the return game. Now, in regard to making mistakes and dropping punts, I agree with you on, you know, as far as it goes, as far as that. But past that, in regard to returning, you know, he's not Billy White Shoes Johnson. You follow what I'm saying? Now, if he's Billy White Shoes Johnson and or Deion Sanders, and he makes – that type of impact on a football game, then I think you have to have him back there. I don't see Preston Williams as that type of player, and I think that the trade-off, you know, in regard to him possibly getting hurt playing that role on our football team, is not is it's not it's just not a good trade-off. You know, I'd rather see him on the field and concentrating on on the offense and his receiving ability and developing in that aspect of it. So. I mean, I do agree with you to some extent, but, um, you know, in other ways, I really don't. So, you know, that, those are my thoughts on it. That's not the first time we've disagreed. I'm okay with it. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So the Dolphins announced today that 13,000 people are going to be able to uh, attend the game against the Buffalo Bills the second week of the season here at uh, Hard Rock Stadium. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, are they just going to allow Dolphin fans in or Buffalo fans? <laughs> That's a damn good question. There's a, lot, <laughs> there's a lot of Jet and Bill fans down here, all these damn transplants. Now, they're, not gonna, they're probably not going to be able to travel down like they did years ago, and we used to go to games, my God. We used to see a ton of Buffalo Bill fans, and they would come in from out of state, you know, yep. from up By the Buffaloes, yes. Oh, my God, yes. it was crazy. But um, – it would be nice, Mike, if they said, you know, eh, only Dolphin fans allowed. 13,000, we can't afford to let any Bill fans in. Sorry. And they go that route. But go ahead. You finish your me, thought. Yeah, it made me think of a funny story. You know, we, we were going to the games, and my son was like 10 years old, okay? It was probably 94. <laughs> and uh, the Bill's buses were unloading, and uh, my 10-year-old son is staring the Bills fans in the face yelling, Buffalo sucks, and he's wearing a Buffalo sucks t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so proud and so embarrassed at the same time. <laughs> can, can, can you do that anymore? That's the problem, Mike. We yeah, have I to know. be politically correct. So we I can't. I mean, can you even do that at football? It's going to get to a point where if anybody <laughs> wears a shirt like that, <laughs> They're going to tell you to take it off before you go into the stadium. And, I mean, yeah. let's just hope that it yeah, never they gets aqua, to that point. orange shirts, they were handing them out. Yep, yep, there yeah. you go. You love it. I don't think they could get away with doing that anymore. I don't think so either. You know, so not here at least. Yeah, so what do you think of them uh, packing the stadium with fans? I, you know, it, it's interesting because – and I'm surprised by it, Mike, because Florida right now is not doing very well in regard to the, you know, the virus and whatnot. And, um, you know, I would have assumed that they would have avoided this type of thing, especially since we're what? What's the date on that game? The 20? Is it well, the, it's going to be about the 20th, roughly. Yeah, roughly. I mean, so you're talking less than a month from now. And yeah. um I'm very surprised. And, you know, it, it's it's another situation where it's like, 
you know, uh, what, what, what are we doing here? I mean, you're putting 13,000 people in there, and, and I know it's not a lot because what is the capacity there at the stadium? 65 and change. 65. So you're basically at what, one-fifth, one-sixth of um, – I think it's 20% the way they figured it one, out. One-fifth. Okay, yeah. so basically, you know, you're looking at a situation where you still have 13,000 people in one area. And, um, you know, I mean, I – I'm happy, especially if there's going to be 13,000 Dolphin fans there. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll be nice for the players to have fans in there. But, you know, I just don't know if if they should really do it. I think it's maybe a little bit too early. I think maybe they yeah. should wait another month or so to see how things, you know, develop w- with everything. But I'm real hey, torn. I'm know. real torn on it. You know, I mean, yes. from a team's perspective and a sports perspective, you really want the fans there. Of course, uh, you know because it's going to help the team, and that's that's the goal. Yep. But uh, you know, from a public health standpoint, it may not be the smartest thing to do. And you know, people touch handrails, and you know, whatever. It just there is always a chance for a spread. Right. You've got concessions, I'm sure. Unless well, they they've got that as contactless, so they've done everything they can. I mean, the faucets are all contactless now. The toilets are contactless. Uh-huh. Um, so they, they've made a lot of changes. They've got air filtration systems that they use in the hospitals up in the suites now. Okay. Uh, so they, they've, they've done a lot of things to to really uh, improve the stadium. So I give them, you know, their kadoos. But uh, still, people are people. and you know. Of course. And they're at football games. And if they're drinking beer, you know, I mean, it is what it is. I don't know how they're going to handle all that. Maybe they won't serve liquor at the games i don't know but i can tell you this it's um they will and uh, they did say that everybody's gonna have to wear a mask unless they're eating or drinking right there you go well good luck with policing that at a football game when it's 90 degrees (laughs) out (laughs) exactly (laughs) they'll be wiping their foreheads with that mask oh yeah exactly and uh yeah i I mean it listen it's interesting i'm happy in a sense like you mentioned, you're torn. I am too. I mean, I want to see fans in the stands. Uh, I think it's important to the players. I mean, it's it's going to be so weird to them to be playing in front of an empty crowd if, in fact, they were going to do that. I mean, it'd be crazy if you think about it, you know? Yeah. You're running the touchdown in. You don't hear the crowd cheering. You know, it, it's it's just – it's almost like another practice type of you know, type. Well, of I know the Bills coach wasn't in favor of it. Right. I and I, you know, how can you knock them for that? You know, right. I mean, you know, you're putting. I mean, and, and again, I I just don't know the circumstances enough. But you got thirteen thousand fans. I don't know if they're going to close off the bottom section so they can't even get close to the players, or you know, yeah, they are. They're going to they're okay. going to have like the uh, uh, hypothetically the first eight rows tarped. Okay, gotcha. Or whatever, so they can't. They'll block it so they can't uh, they can't get even close to this gotcha gotcha i mean i'm I'm sure they're going to take all the precautions necessary so you know we'll see i mean what we don't want mike is our team losing football games because you know we we get 10 or 12 guys that test positive and um you know my thinking is is that um you do everything possible to eliminate that and that may mean you know the fans not being there as well i don't know I mean, again, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I don't know if it it, it would affect them. I would assume if 13,000 people are in one area enclosed, 
to some extent, you know, it's probably not a great thing, but well, you know, they, they wouldn't do this unless they thought they could do it safely. I mean, they have had, they've spoken to experts and, you know, they feel like they're doing it in a safe manner. And, uh, you know, based on the videos that I've seen of some of the things they've done to the stadium, I agree with them, Mm -hmm. but there's the people factor and, you know, like I said, people touch handrails and it can possibly be transmitted that way. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going to walk by each other. There's no way you can control that. People cough, you know, things happen. Yep. So, you it's know. It's security. It's concession yep. people. It's, you know, it's uh, the mascot, you know, whatever the case <laughs> may be. Yeah. It's more people around the players somehow, some kind of way yeah, to well, some extent. Uh, I'm not. I'm not so worried about the players because I think they'll be all right. They're going to yep. keep them safe. Yep. Okay. So now I say that, and they'll all get sick, and you'll laugh at me. But. <laughs> right. I'm say, Mike, remember when you <laughs> yeah. said? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you well enough to know that. But right. you know, it, it is what it is. You know, it's uh, it's a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to play sports in a pandemic. We're we're you know we're bucking science here. Well, I mean, so. baseball isn't doing it. And um, basketball isn't doing it. So, you know, I'm kind of surprised that football is going to do it. You know, I really am. I'm surprised because um, – and it's untested water, Mike. And I know you. I know what you said in regard to, um, you know, them taking all the precautions. But this is untested water. We haven't done this before. We right. haven't experienced. So you just don't know, you know, how many more people are bringing – being brought into the picture because we have to have 13,000 fans in the stadium. I mean, as I mentioned, there's security, there's, there's parking attend, there's, there's, there's a lot more people involved in, in, in that, you know, that situation on game day to get the game squared away and the fans in there and what police officers. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot more people than just the 13,000, but listen, you know, let's just hope it works out and, you know, we cross our fingers and pray and, you know, in the season, uh, we get through the season in, in good shape. Yeah, let's hope we get a full season in. That's that's the that's the main thing, you know. Get, getting the season in and trying to keep the team healthy. If they can do that, they've done their yeah. job. And I'm surprised because I would have thought at this point that they would have come up with something in regard to, um, especially what, with what's happened in baseball, to where teams have lost games. I know the Mets and the Yankees just had a four-game, three-game series over the weekend canceled, and they're going to try and make it up. Baseball's a little different. Uh, you know, when you miss a game on a given week, you know, you can't you can't play two football games in a week. You just can't do it. I mean, the baseball teams can play two games in one day, and right. that's what they're doing. They're, they're playing a lot of doubleheaders to make up these games. Uh, so my thinking is, is that I would hope that at this point they would have maybe reduce the season down to 13 or 14 games and allow a situation where if say the window, right. If the dolphins are playing the bills and the bills have three or four guys that come down with it and they test positive and they basically have to quarantine the whole team until they, you know, they get more reports, which is what's happening again in baseball and you have to cancel the game for that given week, you're not going to have the ability to really make that game up if they don't have a couple of weeks near the end of the season to make these games up. So I, I think it'd be smart on their part to do that, but I haven't heard anything in regard to that. No, what I, what I do know is that they're testing them every day until they have less than a 5% 
uh, amount of players infected. Okay, got you. Okay, and once they have less than 5% infected, they'll go to every other day. Got it. You know, they're they're keeping tabs on them, and, you know, these tests are supposed to be accurate, so we'll okay. see. Yep, absolutely. Now, I'm going to go ahead and uh, play that interview with uh, Bill. Yep. Guys, I think you'll enjoy it. Let's go ahead and get that going. Be about a, if they wanted to try a field goal, about a 53-yard attempt. Repeat Stojanovic, but no, never has a saying, go, go, go. Yep. Time is getting short. They've only got to save a timeout here, obviously. Seven seconds on the play clock. they got to hurry to get this one off. They're going to get it. Oh, just before it ran out. Shotgun. Marino throws deep downfield. It is caught by Fryer. Touchdown! Yes! Touchdown, Dolphins! Marino to Fryer! Oh! Courageous call! That's on fourth and five! Unbelievable! What a game by Irving Fryer. What a game by Marino. You talk about championship courage. You talk, talk about a will to win. A flame burns inside that man, Dan Marino. Absolutely incredible. Fourth and five. Marino long to Fryer. 35 yards and a touchdown. All right. I am here with Bill Zephyr. Bill, I really want to thank you for joining us uh, today. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to do so. Oh, a real pleasure. Good to be with you, Mike. I've got some questions I thought I'd ask you, uh, but before I do, I wanted to tell you, I was a really big fan of uh, Rick Weaver and Hank Goldberg, who mm -hmm. uh, did the play-by-play -play before, you know, you started. And uh, back in the early 70s, you know, the games were not televised at home. Ah. Uh, didn't matter if they sold out or they didn't sell out. You were not going to see the game on television unless it was. Uh, I, don't, I don't even think they did on Monday night. Uh, I don't think it, they did at all. Huh. So um, they did change that rule. I think they changed it in '73. But uh, the first couple of years, I was watching the team. Uh, anytime they were home, the only way you'd know about the game was to listen to it on the radio. Uh, so I started, you know, listening to 610 uh, WIOD every time the Dolphins yeah. played. And uh, it sort of became a habit for me. Uh, you know, uh, later on, I held season tickets and uh, I still always had the radio on my head, you know, and right. it, it just, I enjoyed it. And uh, I, I honestly, I thought you and Jim Mandich were every bit as good as uh, Weaver and Goldberg were. Uh, so. I just wanted to thank you as a Dolphin fan uh, for your energy and just being great at what you, what you did and the way you described the action. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, uh, Rick Weaver, no doubt, was a legend in Miami. Uh, when I uh, first was approached about, uh, about auditioning for the job, uh, you know, I, I looked into it a little bit, and I saw that Rick, Re Rick Weaver was the only play-by-play only -play guy the Dolphins ever had, so I knew I was going to be a tough, tough guy to replace. And, uh, you know, you hear about uh, how much Dolphins fans loved him. I knew I wasn't going to replace him. I could just try to be me and do the best I could do. And that's that's how I had to approach the whole situation. And I, I got to meet uh, Rick a couple of times afterwards after I took the job. He came to one game and came into the booth with us. I let him call a couple of plays, which made him very happy and a uh, good guy. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was tough because anytime you come in, you're replacing someone who's been a part of the event for so many years. It's very difficult. Sure it is. 
Uh, so when did you decide you wanted to do radio, and did you ever envision yourself doing play-by-play? Well, yeah, it was interesting because uh, growing up, uh, uh, my uncle was a Major League Baseball player for 20 years, a left-handed pitcher for the Cardinals, uh, Kurt Simmons. Uh-huh. So I had an exposure to pro sports early on in my life, and and uh, and I saw uh, what, uh, what things were like for pro players and uh, was often at the ballpark and things like that. And uh, I saw what sports was like. So my plan always was to be a, a professional baseball player like my uncle. Uh, that exactly didn't, didn't uh, work out. Uh, so uh, my plan B was to be a professional football player. That didn't work out. So, uh, you know, you come to high school and you think, okay, I got to make a decision here somehow. And I just thought to myself, I, I mean, it really wasn't uh, something that I, that I had planned on on getting into. And I just thought to myself, if, there, if I could pick anything to do, what would it be? And uh, at that point, I thought, wow, if I could somehow get involved with sports broadcasting, that is what I'd want to do. So I made that decision really late in high school and uh, and went to Penn State and majored in broadcasting. And and uh, I, I'm the first to admit I've gotten some tremendously lucky breaks in my career. Uh, would Did I ever envision myself doing play-by-play on a national level uh, like the NFL? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I maybe in my dreams I could have, but it, exactly. it really wasn't realistic uh, in in the early days for sure. Uh huh. So as you said, you called, uh, you went to Penn State, and you eventually called games for Penn State, and of course you called games for the Dolphins. Uh, two really great football programs. Uh, which do you enjoy calling more, and mm. why? Yeah, that's really a good question because it, it's two different type of things. It's two different atmospheres, really. The college football is a completely different atmosphere. Probably, uh, you know, in that case, in my my own particular case, it was more of a family atmosphere because I worked with Joe Paterno's brother, George. Oh, cool. So uh, our regular routine would be after the home games were over and before, because I had a three-hour drive back to where I lived uh, from State College, uh, we would go over to Joe's house. And uh, I would sit there until the traffic cleared out a little bit before I drive home. So uh, I got a chance to know the whole paternal family. And uh, so it really was a little more of a family atmosphere as far as college football goes. In the pros, uh, you know it's more of a business, even though it became kind of a family atmosphere for me as I got to know people. But you know, you still know in any event that it is a business. Uh, Now, as far as broadcasting the games themselves, I really think that there's nothing like the NFL. Uh, it, it, it's a whole nother level, of course. The best players in the world, the best of the best, uh, guys you have admired for years, maybe growing up, all of a sudden you're broadcasting games that they're playing in. So I would have to say to, to do the games, the actual broadcast of the games, the NFL is beyond comparison. Yeah, it's, it's the top of the ladder. Yeah. What advice would you give a young as- aspiring person who has the same interests? Yeah, well, there's good and bad uh, today as far as sports go because there's just so much more opportunity now. When I was uh, graduating college or even in college, uh, you know, you'd tune in the television on a Sunday and there you'd have a couple of NFL games on uh, as far as other sports go. Yeah, the networks carried some of the things. You could go local radio, but now... Uh, anytime you, you can go on cable and find five or six different games that are on, whether it be
be college football or the NFL or something else, uh, there's tremendous opportunity as far as uh, as the amount of sports programming that's out there. Uh, the, the negative part comes in the business itself. It seems like it's very difficult these days for uh, someone to get to that level that they aspire to. I, I mean, uh, and especially now with all of the options out there, you could find yourself if you're a, uh, an aspiring play-by-play guy, guy, there are so many talented people out there. You could find yourself doing uh, college softball games for uh, for years and, yeah. and not get out of there. It's, it's just very difficult, I think, to advance now. Uh, there's a lot more opportunity, but there's a lot more people out there trying to do the very same thing. Right. A lot more competition. Yeah. Getting back to the radio booth, you know, I feel like everyone who listened to Jim Mandich felt like they knew him personally. He yeah. just had that way about him. And, of course, you actually did know him personally. So tell us something about Jim we wouldn't know. Oh, you know, he is such a, a colorful individual. I think everybody, you're right, does kind of know Jim Mandich. Uh, but uh, the guy was the entire package. You know, Jim Mandich was uh, a guy, everybody, you just wanted to be around him. He was friendly. He was funny. He was generous. Uh, and uh, But one thing maybe people don't realize is that Jim Mandich was, was one smart cookie. He was mm-hmm. a very, very smart guy. I can remember one time, he and I just sitting around his pool at his house and uh, we just got talking about finances and things and I didn't know much about what was going on and I was kind of dabbling in the stock market and and Jim said to me he said you know you know the stock market's about to take a major hit and I said oh really and he said yeah I wouldn't get into the market right now and he and he was right of course about a month later things went haywire in the market uh, so he was somebody who really was was a sharp guy hey uh, you know he had a successful business he had a successful career of his own in sports broadcasting I guess needless to say uh, he was smart but uh, he really was the whole package he's a guy that I think was passionate about anything that he did Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, you know, when when Jim was involved in something, you knew that it was going to be completed. He wasn't going to just fool around with something and then just say, "Okay, that's enough of that. I'm going to something else." Uh, you knew that he was going to follow through as far as he could. Now, I heard uh, you tell a story about something that went down during the very first regular season game that you guys did together against <laughs> the uh, Patriots. Uh, would you mind sharing that story for the people listening? Yeah, it's one of my most memorable moments and one of my favorite moments uh, because it involved uh, a lot of things going on. Of course, it was that first regular season game with the Patriots. It is a crazy game. And uh, it was also when there was a baseball strike, so that was going on. And uh, and we all know that uh, that game was played in, in kind of weird conditions. Uh, we had uh, a kind of a, a pregame thunderstorm that caused the baseball infield to become like muck, almost like quicksand. And it seemed like the ball was always there in the muck. So at one point during the game, uh, Jim went on kind of a rant and said that uh, the baseball people should just give it up and let's put sod down on that infield and forget about this. Somebody's going to get hurt out there. He went on for a rant that lasted for a few minutes. And a a little while later, I just kind of kind of sense something in the booth, a little bit of a tussle going on in the booth. So I turn around and here's Wayne Huizenga in the booth, of course, at that time, the owner of the Marlins and the Dolphins. 
and uh, he his head's ready to explode. He's uh, he's very red. Uh, the veins are popping out of his head, and he is saying some things to Jim that weren't very nice. And uh, I I just kind of at the time put my headphones back on, turned around, looked at the field again, and just kind of thought to myself, what. What did I get into here? Well, <laughs> so that was uh, that was kind of my inauguration into Dolphins football. That's a funny story, especially so early on. Yeah. Uh, so any other things that come to mind? Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, I, I there are so many memorable moments to me. I, I just remember early on uh, because I had really no connection to South Florida when I got the job. And uh, Jim kind of adopted me. So that was the first thing. Uh, You know, I became part of the Mandich household when I was down there. But the other thing was, I can remember my first uh, Dolphins practice. I went down early in that 1994 summer, uh, just go down and watch some days of practice. And and one of the first things that happened was uh, I was standing there where all the players go back into the uh, the locker room. And and, uh, Dan came over. Dan Marino came over. And and, uh, he knew who I was because his brother brother-in-law was a broadcaster in Pennsylvania, worked in Pittsburgh, and his brother-in-law knew I, me from Penn State. So we struck up a conversation, and I just thought, wow, you know, Dan Marino came over to me. That's pretty interesting. And, and then the other thing I thought is, here's Dan. He just came off the Achilles. He's kind of limping off the field. And I thought to myself, how's he going to play? I mean, uh, he, he. I mean, that's how severe the limp was. And uh, the first preseason game that Dan appeared in that year, he didn't play in the first preseason game. I don't think the first two, since we had an extra. We actually had an extra preseason game that year, if I remember. We had an early one against the Giants, and uh, the first game that Dan played in, he came out on the field, and again there was that pronounced limp. And I thought to myself, "Wow, I, it, how is this going to work?" Well third play of that preseason game he threw a 78 yard touchdown pass and i thought okay that all right everybody's good dan's ready to go so uh, that's just one of the many many uh memories i have of that first season i I know you've been a member of the facebook page for a while uh you're still an active dolphin fan am i right i am I, i it's a team that i continue to pull for uh, I continue to, uh, even though I've lost uh, lost contact with a lot of the people that, well, a lot of the people that were around when I was there are no longer there, right? And uh, I've lost contact with some others, but I still, I do keep an eye on the Dolphins. Any chance I get to watch them on the weekend, I'll do that. And uh, I like to keep up to date on what's going on. And I have to tell you right now, Mike, uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick Every time uh, I see Ryan Fitzpatrick, I just have to smile because when he was at Harvard, uh, you know, this was after I I finished up with the Dolphins. I did a couple of years of college football after that. And one of the things I did was some college games for television up here in the Northeast. And we did some Harvard games. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback of the Harvard team uh, in in the years that I did the games. So, first of all, that brings a smile to my face to see Ryan Fitzpatrick still in the league. And he is just a guy who is a breath of fresh air. You know, so every time I get to see him play, it makes me smile. He's a unique character, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, here he, a Harvard grad, obviously uh, a pretty sharp cookie, yeah. and uh, he is just playing like he's a like he's an eighteen year old at this point. Yeah, it's, I enjoy watching him yeah. as well, and I, and I know Lou, who does the show with me, enjoys him, and uh, Jim enjoys him. You know, we just laugh because yep. you don't you don't expect that. You know, he's running over linebackers. Yeah. He's, he's fun to watch. Yeah. 
Um, so what do you think of the team's approach uh, last season to just reboot the whole thing? Well, uh, everybody was hearing about the complete tanking, right? Well, yeah. uh, it, they surprised some people. And, I, you know, I don't think Brian Flores had any any uh, desire to tank. We we found that out in a hurry. He, a hurry. he wasn't going to yeah. give anything up. He was going to win, and he wanted to win as many games as possible. So uh, I think we found out, and other teams found out, too, that the Dolphins were n- in no mood to be tanking. Uh, but there was, n- n- you know, no question that there needed to be a restructuring of the team done. And I think the coach, uh, Flores, had that. He knew that as well. And he is doing it the way he wants to do it. So far, I I like what he's done. I like the way he handles the team. I like the way he handles personnel. And, of course, I'm watching all this from afar. But uh, what I've seen of him so far, I like. Yeah, same here. You know, we lost the uh, great Don Shula this year. Uh, do you have any stories about uh, Shula that you could share? Yeah, uh, I always think, uh, first of all, Don Shula is always seen as a as a, uh, as a hard individual, right? Man, this is a guy that could go after the officials better than anybody. He'll, he could dress down his players, uh, you know, as well as anybody. Uh, but uh, he, he was always very accommodating to me and, uh, you know, at any time letting me be part of uh, team activities, getting on the team bus to go to meetings, go, you know, it was not it was just a matter of, come on, let's go. Uh, but what I'll always remember is the first time I met him. And uh, that's when I came down in 1994 and uh, was going to camp and uh, just happened to be, I was given a tour of the Dolphins facility. It was my very first time there. Uh, one of the marketing people was taking me around and I was in the elevator and in walks Coach Shula. So uh, the the person that was with me says, oh, Coach, I want to introduce you to our new broadcaster, Bill Zimfer, Coach Shula. And he said, oh, glad to meet you. And then he paused for a second and he said, you, you did Penn State, right? And I said, yeah. He said, did you do the game where Alabama got shafted by the officials up at Penn State? And I I said, uh, I said, no, no. I said, that was before me. Of course, his son, Michael, was a quarterback on that Alabama Uh team. I said, no, that was uh, that was before me. And he said, oh, okay." And, And it seemed like at that point. I was okay with Coach Shula, right? I was in no way involved with that game against Alabama, and it seemed like from that point on, everything was good. He loved his kids, no question. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you could just tell. uh, You know, the uh, kids were always at camp when they were youngsters, and uh, they were always around him as much as he could have them around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember we did a game out in Cincinnati when David was coaching the Bengals. And uh, Jim, I remember Jim Mandich telling me, he said, uh, because we were staying at a hotel that was kind of off the beaten path. And he'd say, uh, Jim said, hey, he said, I'll lay money on the fact that we're not far away from David's house. And as it turns out, we weren't. Uh, So, yeah, you're right. Even in, in that situation, he wanted to be around his family. Yeah. All right, Bill. Well, you know, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us today. It was certainly nice uh, listening to your stories and uh, advice, and uh, I want to thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, Michael, and go Fins. All right. I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, I think we'll go ahead and uh, close the show for today. Lewis, thanks for joining me. Very, very welcome. And thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. Fins up. Fins up, doll fans. All right, so that's our show for this week. I just want to remind everyone that the Fin Fans podcast is part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. 
Social Podcast Network.